We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We are here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Ooh, Don Palumbo. Jonah. Jacob Lanto. I really get excited when you read that intro. Yeah. Not, no, not like that, Don. Jeez Louise. We've, we've spent too much time on the road. This is today, definitely this not weekend. a PG-13 show. No, but no, not even a little bit. That part is very PG between Good. Don and I. <laughs> so everyone knows. Stop, stop explaining things. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. I um, like to explain things. We all know. Yes. Thank you all so much for being with us tonight uh, or this afternoon, this whatever you want to call it, this evening, early evening. We are coming at you, you know, obviously live from Fargo, and, and we're so excited to be here. And thanks so much to DCR Brewing uh, for having us. We love it, and we are so excited to be here. So, Jonah, talk to me about reviews. Well, it's really cool. We're super excited that everyone has taken a moment out of their busy lives to review Midwest Murder on iTunes. In fact, it's a really great way to help us get recognized. So if you like the show, especially if you're here today and you haven't reviewed us on iTunes yet, it takes about 39 seconds of your life to open the app on your phone, go to the Apple Podcast app and say, bam, five stars for Midwest Murder. Like we got from Johnny Fire. He said, recommended listen, five stars. Is that his real name? Yeah, Johnny Fire. Yeah, he's one of the top, I'd say that's one of the top names we've gotten on our review names. Is it weird if I started to, if I asked you to to call me Donny Fire? Would that be cool? Or is that? Tonight only Mm. in Fargo, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Donny Fire. Well, that now it sounds weird because now it sounds like I copied Johnny. You asked so for I it. did. I did. I'm sorry, Johnny Fire. Recommended really listen. Thing. Five stars. Johnny Fire. Midwest Murder Podcast is a fantastic show that focuses on the true crime stories of North Dakota and the surrounding area. Don and Jonah have good chemistry as hosts, and I love the alternating storytelling approach taken. Would highly recommend to anyone who enjoys quality storytelling. Congratulations on one year. Keep up the good work. Oh. I feel like cheers to that one year, cheers. man. We made it. Like, Thank you guys for being here. It's our second time in Fargo. That means a lot to hear that, Johnny Fire. And here's to many more years to come, Don Palumbo. Cheers. This one's from Bravos5346278. Oh. Amazing. Five stars. This is what podcasts are supposed to be. Jonah and Don catch your ear with their storytelling. The stories leave me with goosebumps. All of it makes me want to come back for more. Who would have thought the Midwest could be so dark, especially with our nice nature? Thanks, guys. The Midwest is incredibly dark. Are you people nice or what's the deal here? What's the deal? Is the Midwest dark or is it nice or is it a little bit of both? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's the, it's the, it comes back to the, just have some hot dish and stop murdering people, right? Like that's all that comes. This down is the to. Midwest, and we have to actually quote that to somebody in the audience today. She sent she sent me a TikTok that it was this the sheriff from I don't sound like down south maybe, but he's like have a coffee something 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 and just stop murdering people. 
and it was like, wow. But we we eat hot dish here. That yeah. feels that feels right. So we, we midwestified kinda, we, that. We did, we did. So it's uh, so a shout out and a tip of the hat. She knows who she is. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. And look, if you want to go that extra mile, and you really you love us like more than we'll say like a fancy coffee, or you love us as much or more than a fancy beer. You can buy us a hot dish at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Midwest Murder. Hook it up. This episode is brought to you in part by the DVCC in Minot. That's the Domestic Violence Crisis Center in Minot. Their services are available 24-7 to anyone who is seeking an escape from a terrible cycle of violence in their life. Or if you just need help and you need to reach out, you can find them at Courage for Change. That's Courage, the number four change.org. The crisis line is 701-857-2200. All services at the DVCC are confidential. All services there are free. And I know it takes a tremendous amount of courage to step away from these situations. And I just want to say, if you know somebody or you are someone who is experiencing domestic violence in your life, please take the steps to break that cycle because it will not break itself. And they are there to help you find the resources that you need to get you safe, to keep you safe. And uh, and, and the work that they do is so very important in our community in Minot. But then, you know, they're also, you can, you can find services like that anywhere. And it is a great thing to do if you find yourself in that situation. Donate today at courageforchange.org. It's the DVCC in Minot. This episode also brought to you in part by... Manscaped. Who wants to talk about Jonah's balls? Again. It's not the only thing we're here to talk about with Manscaped, Don. They can save your they can save your nose, they can save your face, and listen, they can save your balls. Okay? If you're using Manscaped, particularly when you deploy the Midwest Murder promo code and save 20% off your first order. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. You might have, well, no, actually, we're going to, this is going to be way past Christmas, oh, so yeah. I'll have to fix okay, that. For, Christmas is coming for you in the audience. Yeah, he's going to Jonah that out, and you but can for save you guys. 20%. And listen, if you're not using Manscaped, every woman wants you to have jewels, all right? Jewels down I, there. I, I and if you, you ain't using gentlemen. Manscaped. I think you call them gentlemen is what. Eh, gentlemen. You know. Jewels, but if you're not using Manscaped, they're Neanderthals, and nobody wants to put up with that shit. Okay, so get yeah, they are, absolutely yes. so Manscaped, what are, what are legit sponsor. They are a legit sponsor. Their products are amazing. You can shave your balls. You can shave your face. You can get one for each. It's waterproof. Okay, they've got, but they've got like the, good underwear, they, good they T-shirts. Yeah. It's um, more. They've got the nose trimmer. A ball deodorant. Listen, I see, I see like nose hairs poking out out there. Get the nose trimmer from Manscaped. You save 20% off. That's called the, Kay. that's called the weed whacker. The weed whacker for yeah. good reason. Yeah. Cause it whacks those rogues, rogue agents poking out your nose that nobody wants to look at. So the lawnmower 4.0, it actually helps reduce nicks. Uh, they can, it can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs, grooming accidents. Cause I don't think anybody wants that around their balls, but anyway. Listen, and when so I when, talk- we, when we talked about this in Minot, there were people like my friend's parents or my friend's moms that were in the in the audience, and he talked about his balls way too long. No. And then I said, "I this is talk- about everyone's balls, Don." I know, but we were talking about yours specifically, and then and then we were talking about it more and more. And then I said a really bad word. It was just I was sweating profusely. Like it was it was very difficult. Yeah. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MidwestMurder at Manscaped.com. I highly also recommend their underwear. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using the code MidwestMurder. It's true. 
you can experience premium grooming with Manscaped. I'm not just targeting the most beardly person in here. I know, I know Ryan Tetzloff feels targeted. Shout out to my guy, Cold Sweat of Hiali here, really talented musician in Fargo joining us tonight. I'm glad he made the time. The Weed Whacker, just get in there, bro. I see, I, I, I see what you're doing. They got beard oils too. His girlfriend's nodding about it, like right now, getting called out. Manscaped, bro. Midwest murder. Midwest murder is the code. All right, so our story today takes us to... Minnesota, from about 1980 to 1982. In 1980, the Rubik's Cube debuted, making smart people feel smarter and us average folk feel less than smart. I've never figured one out. Me either, except I did. I changed the stickers. And then I felt not only like a genius, but also like I was pretty badass and resourceful. But anyway, so the Winter Olympics took place in Lake Placid. And also that summer... The Summer Olympics took place in Moscow, but President, President Jimmy Carter announced we would boycott the Olympics because of the Soviet-Afghan war, and 82 countries boycotted the Games completely, so they joined us. Mount St. Helens in Washington state erupted, killing 57 people and causing $3 billion in damage. CNN was launched. Ronnie Reagan defeated Jimmy Carter in the presidential election. John Lennon was shot outside his home in New York City, outside of the Dakota. It's a trivia question for you. And everyone wondered who shot JR in Dallas, for those of us that weren't born in 1980. 1981 brought us the DeLorean. It also brought us the longest baseball game in professional baseball history. And that was played for eight hours, 25 minutes, and 33 innings. And everybody in the audience was dead by the end of it because they (laughs) died from old age. Well, 33 innings. I mean, I I love baseball. Eight hours, 25 minutes. Like, and baseball's not exciting. Like, it's not an exciting game. I still love it, but it's not like watching hockey. It's not, you know, it's, it is. The men in the audience had a beard by the end and had to order Manscaped with promo code Midwest Murder. Nice plug. Well done. Pope John Paul. That was not planned. (laughs) That was not. Pope John Paul II was shot in an assassination attempt. The CDC recognized the first cases of AIDS. In which, of course, would be ignored later. But Donkey Kong was released. Yes. MTV, de- MTV debuted, you know, I guess nationally, playing the first video, back when they played videos. Video killed the radio star by the Buggles. The first female justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor, took her seat. Yes, it's 1981, and it's the first female se- seated on the Supreme Court. She was groundbreaking. The Iran-Contra affair became common vocabulary. And China became the first country to reach 1 billion people at the end of the year. Commodore 64 invaded our homes in 1982. Late Night with David Letterman debuted, starting his 33-year run on NBC and CBS. Quick, what's the word I'm looking for? Trivia. That's the word. Who was his first guest? Oh, no, no idea. It was also his last guest. It was Bill Murray. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That's a nice little useless piece of knowledge that might win me some bar trivia one day. It's something, yeah. I, it's yeah. taking up... Good real estate in my brain because there's not a, you know, and uh, something important will probably get kicked out. So. I was going to say, I just, yeah. I just forgot something actually useful. <laughs> yeah. So E.T., the movie, was released and probably raised the stock of Reese's Species. Prince William was born. Princess Grace of Monaco died. She died from her injuries sustained in a car accident. Epcot Center opened in Disney World. The first U.S. execution by lethal injection was done. Guess the state. South Dakota. Texas. Texas. Yeah, okay. of course. Of course it happened in Texas. And Michael Jackson's Thriller album was released. Nice. Oh, the 80s. All right. So we are, like I said, heading to Minnesota. 
And Paul Michael Stephanie was the second of 10 kids growing up in Austin, Minnesota. He shagged balls and caddied at the Austin Country Club. He's giggling. <laughs> I just, if you're if you're a golfer, you know what that means. I have I have no as idea. Soon as, I've never I, golfed I, in my life. <laughs> never golfed in my life. So it just sounds like somebody that I'm not going to say it, but you know what that man needs. I know. And He's shagging balls. You know what he needs. You're going to go for the shameless plug. Again. No, I'm not doing it. They don't get another. They don't get another plug. But it's there. It's and as, as soon as as soon as I wrote that, I'm like, oh, I I shouldn't even. This is like it's like I'm teeing it up, right? Like it's here like, it is. Obviously, yeah. I'm not a golfer. <laughs> so anyway, he did that and caddied at the Austin Country Club. His stepfather worked at the Hormel Packing Plant, and that led him to caddy for the president of the same company. So when he lost his job at the country club and didn't get hired at the Hormel Plant, he moved to St. Paul, Minnesota. At this point, it was the mid-60s, and he was struggling to hold a job down, blaming his epilepsy, something that he suffered from since he was five years old. For that reason, he worked as a hospital janitor and worked at, worked a variety of jobs. Not That's not the reason why he worked as a hospital janitor, but variety of jobs. Hospital janitor, shipping clerk at various St. Paul businesses. And it seemed he struggled with more than just steady employment. His marriage fell apart and shortly after he left his wife and young daughter. So they, they beat feet. So imagine New Year's Eve 1980. Disco had just died and it was the end of the first year of a new decade. You know, if we can, you can all remember that first year, that first decade we can remember 2020. That, that feels icky, but bringing it up. Every decade that turns seems to sort of bring that about. So like there's these big kind of moments, these pivotal moments. Right. My, my big one I remember is, of course, like the Y2K. Of course. And then from yeah. the 90s, the end of the world. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah. yeah and then but we it's just that first the... year that, of that new decade where it just feels, something just feels brand new. Now it's it feels like we've been in the 2020s for about 30 years now. So, oh, the 80s. So, of course, life seemed simpler Simpler if you were a white male. And as you'll notice in this story, people were more trusting, specifically women. When I picture this night, I think of the scene in Forrest Gump when Jenny gets wicked high and in her platform shoes, like nearly takes a header off the balcony. Like that's what I picture when I picture New Year's Eve. So there's a jump into my brain. Enjoy. In the in the Midwest, we, we didn't likely have buildings high enough for that to happen, but we still know how to ring in the New Year. And in St. Paul, Minnesota, it was no different. 20-year-old Karen Potak was walking home from a party without a coat. It's winter in Minnesota. It's cold. So she was a bit intoxicated and... She was in visiting with her sisters from Wisconsin. And then, so they had come in from Wisconsin to St. Paul and to go to this New Year's Eve party. So she's wandering around. Paul Stephanie, feeling angry and depressed about just losing his job at a manufacturing company in St. Paul, was driving around and perhaps to clear his head. And that's when he came across Karen. So she was walking. He saw her without a coat, offered her a ride, and thought he might take her for a cup of coffee. Just wanted her to warm up. And in his words... Quote, just that. I just wanted her to warm up and my mind snapped or something. And snapped is exactly what he did. He sexually assaulted her and must have used the first thing he could get his hands on because he proceeded to beat her with a tire iron, hitting her more than 10 times, feeling remorse or playing a sick psychological game with law enforcement. Shortly after 3 a.m., he called the police to let them know there was a, there was a quote, hurt girl there, referring to Malberg Manufacturing Company, his former employer. His voice would stand out for them, earning an unforgettable nickname. Okay, so we have a clip here, actually, of this man calling 911, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to play that. And I'm just a disclaimer. It's creepy. Like, it's haunting. Emergency police and a squad just on the road. Malmberg Manufacturing Company machine shop. Please, there's an ambulance, too. There's a girl hurt there. Can you tell me what happened to her? Just hurry, she's laid on the ground in the back by the, by the railroad tracks, by the edge of the what, What's 
What's the address? I don't know. Who are you? And that's it. They had nothing to go on. They had nothing to identify him by. And nothing happened after that. They couldn't find anything. They had nothing. So fast forward to the summer of 1981. It was June. Weather was just starting to get warm. Like picture that time frame, right? School just gets let out. It's, I mean, you know, quote Alice Cooper, school's out for summer. Everybody is just gearing up. They are going to the lake, one of Minnesota's 10,000, of course, starting to barbecue, hanging out with friends, doing whatever we can in a rainy June. Can, can I ask a question? Sure. Did they, I know, so they didn't find him. Did they find Karen? Like did oh did law enforcement did I, did I, did I skip that? Did, yeah. did law enforcement find the body or oh, they yeah. just they, they just did. got that call and never found anything? Yeah, no, they did. Okay, I just skipped over that part. I'm oh. sorry. I'm just so excited. I'm sorry, but not feels excited, important. But just it it does feel important. Can we Jonah this out and can you guys forget that happened? Can we hop into that DeLorean and go back? Because I just skipped. No over more that DeLoreans. Thing. We've used all the DeLoreans in this episode. <laughs> well, there are like three that exist. So, all right. Let's let's backpedal. Thanks for asking that question. So when law enforcement arrived at the manufacturing company, they found a gruesome, gruesome scene. So Karen was found in the snow, nude, with a hole in her skull that exposed her brain. Oh. oh. Originally, police thought she'd been stabbed, but no. It was all from the tire iron. Oh. Are you ready for this, though? She somehow survived. What? Mm-hmm. Oh. but suffered, obviously, from traumatic brain injuries and wasn't able to direct police to her assailant. I'm just covered in chills. Yeah. You can see why I shouldn't have skipped over that part, right? Yeah. So now we'll jump to the summer of 1981. So feeling those feels, Kimberly Compton had just graduated high school in Pepin, Wisconsin. So she left Wisconsin on the bus for St. Paul. And getting off the bus, she immediately walked across the street to Mickey's Diner. Unfortunately, Paul Stephanie was having coffee at the same diner at the same time Kimberly walked in. When she sat down, she was near Stephanie, who was joking with another guy, and just doing Midwest nice, she laughed with them, and that was all it took. He said, quote, We started talking, and I told her I'd show her around town. I thought I'd drive by the river, and maybe we'd see the Delta Queen or have a picnic. But in 15 minutes, she was dead. My mind snapped again. Why do people go anywhere with strange? I've never wanted to go anywhere in my life with a stranger ever. Not not one single time in my life has some person I met today been like, "Oh, hey, by the way, we're gonna go to the lake." I don't care what they're doing; they could say anything, whatever they're offering, drugs, women, parties, money. I'm not going. It was the eighties. Shit! It was the eighties. But just, they just did, oh, they just did it back then. You hopped in. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. Man, no way. So on June 3rd, 1981, you guys can guess that this did not go well. Kimberly Compton's lifeless body was found by a group of teenage boys just off of an unfinished section of the I-35E near downtown St. Paul. She had been stabbed approximately 61 times with an ice pick. An ice pick. So just after that, he didn't tell them where where her body was, but he did call law enforcement confessing his sick game again. Okay, so we got so we another two, two calls here. Um, two clips. Another little clip here. Don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had this tavern. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every day. I can't believe it. it's like a big dream. I can't. Think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'll kill myself. 
I'd rather kill myself to get locked up. I'll try not to kill anybody else. So he said, I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, if I get locked up, I'll kill myself. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'll try not to kill anybody else. So that was one of the calls. Then, so what he started out also by saying was, don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had to stab her. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every night. I can't believe I did it. Big dream. That last part. It just says big dream. That, it's just so creepy. And we've got one, we've got one more to play of the captured phone calls. You find me, I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. And then that was it. So I don't know if you caught it, but he said, quote, God damn, will you find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. His voice is like, you can, you can about imagine. Ugh, it, Do you it's, think it's he so gross. wailed like that when he killed him? Just wait. So begging to be caught, he was on the phone long enough for police to trace that call. And they traced his location to a payphone on the corner near the same bus station. But when they got there, he was gone. Wow. That's a really, that's a quick trace. They, must, they had to have been there like fast at the, at the payphone. Yep, so he was, makes this yep. call from a payphone, had to have been not too far from where he did. Right. Wow. Right. Yep. So, I mean, clearly he called a couple of times and even apologized. And you can see why he earned himself the nickname of Weepy Voiced Killer. Law enforcement even released parts of that recording to see if anybody recognized his voice. Two days after Kimberly's body was discovered, that was when he told them that he would try not to kill anyone else. I'll try not to. So if he was playing a game, he was winning because they couldn't find him or identify him. So Kathleen Greening was 33, living in Lauderdale, Minnesota, which is in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metropolitan area. She is unlike any of his other victims. She met Stephanie at the Turf Club bar in St. Paul. And in Stephanie's words, he claimed they dated a couple of times. In this psychopath's mind, I'm not sure if that means they hooked up, they went on a couple dates, or what. All I know is this is the third woman that should have run the other way. Do you do you think this? Do you think she actually hung out with him, or in his warped mind, going on a date meant that he stalked her around the neighborhood for like an hour? I'm gonna go ahead and say they were they went out a couple times. So she actually hung out with him. Yeah. Okay. So on July 21st, 1982, Stephanie's live-in girlfriend left for another town in Minnesota to visit her family. So naturally, he seems like a pretty so this guy's got a girlfriend, dude. Uh, yeah, somebody's living oh. with him. Someone's living wow. with him. So he's got a and girlfriend. Someone, and someone married him at one point, too. Right, so. right. It's easy to forget that part now that he's killed so many mm-hmm. people. Right. So he's got a live-in girlfriend. He goes out yep. hunting other women. Right. Well, wow. hunting or invited at this point. Right. So he contacted Greening to meet, and he brought his trusty ice pick with him. But thankfully, Kathleen noticed it among his possessions before before it went any further, and he left it on the stairs. She noticed he had an ice pick and was like, hey... Don't please, bring that. Please still come in. Whoa. Yeah, it's. Well, but still, let. Not, not well, that, that's her fault. That's not what I'm. That's not what I'm implying there. Okay. It's just, it, She's it like, well, just, as long as you leave the ice pick on the stairs, I think we're good. It just feels like, okay, I probably shouldn't trust him if he has if he has an ice pick, but maybe he was a sweet talker when he wasn't wailing his brains out. So. I mean, I yeah, I trust most people not wielding an ice pick. That's. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So according to Stephanie, they quote made love and were taking a bath and joking around and my brain snapped again. 
and I pushed her under the water. So I can only imagine what went through her mind as she thrashed in the water, trying to get free from someone that she had just been intimate with minutes earlier. And then referring to the ice pick again, Stephanie said, quote, I probably would have stabbed her if she hadn't seen it. Jesus. Just completely I, no emotion. Well, it's it's just so bizarre to me. What must it have been like to interact with him as a regular person, right? Because at some level, he was able to seduce or convince this woman to be with him. Don't, I mean, I mean creep vibes everywhere just from his voice, but I, you show up with an ice pick. You're wielded, brandishing an ice pick. Just well, put I'm that like, down well, and you no, can come in. I don't in. think he was like, yeah. Well, man, I know, but he had it. He had it. And then he drowns the woman. It's crazy. Because he, he snaps. So the next day, Kathleen's best friend, Carol Kellogg, came to pick her up. They were The two were about to go on vacation to Mackinac Island in Michigan. She arrived for breakfast, called out for her, and when no one answered, she opened the unlocked door and let herself in. She continued to call out, but still nobody answered. She got to the bathroom and saw the light on and the door partially open. She pushed the door completely open at this point, saw her friend, screamed her name as her friend's lifeless body, naked, her head under the tap, and her knees bent in the tub of water. So Kathleen's death was originally ruled an accidental drowning. But when someone began questioning that, police started to think it was Kathleen's estranged husband, not Paul Stephanie, even though they found his name in her address book. But it Remember remained... Remember when people remained, had those? Yeah. Yeah. Should we explain what they are? Or do you think, do you think the 18-year-olds will know? I, Just I, kidding. Yeah, you can Google it, okay? <laughs> her case remained unsolved. I want to point out, she's naked... Outside of the water with her knees bent no, over the bathtub? No, she's in the water. She's in, okay, so she's, she's in, in it water. in that position. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness gracious yeah. for creepy. Yep. That is so sad and crazy. Why? So, Imagine her feeling walking in. You're calling out that name for someone that's supposed to be there, calling out their name, and you're not, no reply, no reply, and then... And then seeing your friend oof. like that. Yeah. Kathleen's death, you know, was obviously traumatic for her. I mean, you, you like you said, I mean, I can only imagine. And I think our... Ugh, This guy already annoys me at this point, I mean, for many reasons, but instead of calling the police with his whiny-ass voice, he claims he went to St. Paul Cathedral, sat in the back of the church, and cried to God, asking, quote, what is going on with my life? Yeah, no, for sure, buddy. You were absolutely the victim here. What's what's going on with your life? So, Jonah, why do you think Stephanie didn't call the police after this one? So that's that's actually a really good question. I was kind of curious about that myself, and... I feel perhaps it was because he maybe he knew this victim. It's the the only thing that separates to this point this victim from the prior people he has murdered is that he knew this person intimately, had some form of relationship with them leading into it. So it might even bolster the idea that he was toying with police to a degree because you call them yeah, that's what i think too i think i think he's afraid to get caught so then so he's not going to call on this one so of course of course he's playing because a game. he's closer he's to this one mm-hmm. it, so it, it yeah. does as opposed to him playing it off like he's some super weird freaky psychopath which he actually is but that's not the point of him calling the police with those first killings. He just felt like it was a, he got his freak on with it. He wasn't connected to him. I make the call. They can't connect two and two. But with this this victim, he was there. there. His fingerprints are there. They have a relationship. He's in her address book. So that that's why he, I think he didn't call the police. Well, and, and this one was so different, too, because 
he knew her. Right. I mean, they, they knew one another, yeah. or at least he claimed to. You know, so... According point, to him, they knew him. each other. Right. Yep. Can, and does anybody corroborate that? Do any of her friends know that, that she was dating this guy? Nobody. Because if they don't, know. we're just taking his word for it. So again, it comes back to him thinking, oh, I had a relationship. No, you didn't. You were freaking stalking somebody. You didn't have a relationship. That was one-sided. It could, if nobody corroborates that, says, yeah, oh, yeah. They hung out all the time. They were a thing. Yeah, she went on dates with him. Yeah, I if mean, nobody it, else says that, then it could just be him being super, super creepy, s- right? Pathological, yeah. like yeah. And I, I don't have an answer to that because nobody at this, you know, from what I could find, nobody could corroborate it. But I, I also don't think that it was a big issue, right? Otherwise, it, otherwise, it would have been. Well, it it, it might have been, been like what you said. Like you said, like they at first thought maybe it was Kathleen's estranged husband, but then. There wasn't no witness that said, oh, yeah, well, she kind of had this weird boyfriend. If there's no witness saying, oh, yeah, she had this weird boyfriend. Then right. you can't really substantiate it. It could, again, just be Stefani is totally, totally psycho. It's fair. Well, he's, I think he is, and uh, he's escalating. So Paul Stephanie was not done. On August 5th, 1982, Barbara Simons went to the Hexagon Bar. And in what was the biggest mistake of her life, she offered a stranger a cigarette. Who do you think that stranger was? Paul Stephanie. After hanging out for a bit, Barbara told a server she was going to get a a ride home with a guy. The next morning, she was found dead by the newspaper carrier near 29th Street along the Mississippi River. She had been stabbed over 100 times. Oh, man. So at this point, we have, I I mean, clearly, his mother wasn't mentioned, but I'm going to go ahead and speculate that, you know, he's got some mommy issues since he attacks women. And he is so angry. Like, stabbing a stranger, he knew for minutes what 50 60 times and 100 times like that is that's something that just it blows my mind that, the, the, it, the level of anger that he had if you stab somebody 100 times i just just think for a second that's probably going to take as long as a hit song on the radio okay that's literally like a, a, the number one single right now is probably about three minutes or so that's probably about how long it takes even if I, even if you get one second per stab, it's still a minute and a half of, of stabbing. That is, it's crazy. It, it's it's unstoppable. Yeah, angry. It's a lot of anger. Yeah. Well, at this point, people were starting to pay attention. Witnesses described him as a as being because witnesses from the bar, of course, described him as being a man in his forties, six feet tall, hundred and eighty five pounds, dark complexion, and receding black hair. Well, yeah, you've got a body count. Finally, you got witnesses. Like finally, it- finally, and in this one, he called the police again. And in this in this call, he said, "quote And again, in his whiny voice, please don't talk, just listen." So he said that now twice in two different calls. I'm sorry, I killed that girl. I stabbed her over 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first over in St. Paul. So now he is starting to panic and he is starting to confess to these things. What do you think he was counting that? I stabbed her over 40 times? That, that was something that popped in my creepy. head too. Like, how do you know like, that? Well, yeah, how do you, right, how do you, seriously. How do you know? I mean, Ugh. yeah. So p- police were working feverishly to track this man down. Why yeah. do you think he said, please don't talk, just listen? Because he was probably trying to hurry it along so he could get his words out and nobody could Before trace him. Before they could trace him. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yep. That so makes sense. Only a month after he murdered Kathleen Greening and only two weeks after murdering Barbara Simons, on August 21st, he found Denise Williams, a 19-year-old sex worker on Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis. He offered her $100 to, quote, have some fun. 
Denise had been a sex worker for about six years at this point, starting at the age of 13. Oh, man. And if we can just pause for a second, like that just, that just hurts. Like my kid's 11. Yeah. That's my, know? that's my daughter's age. Yeah. And it and just, we, it's, ugh, it just hurts my heart that that's where, that's where girls horrific. and women find themselves. Yeah. Denise got into his vehicle and went to his apartment in St. Paul. He gave her $40 and promised to pay her the remaining $60 later. They engaged in sexual activity and she accepted a ride back thinking he'd drop her off where he picked her up back on Hennepin Avenue. He took her through back roads instead, and she's starting to question it. And as he drove, he kept telling her about his sexual fantasy multiple times, in which gave her the creeps, obviously. And when she asked where they were, he told her they were on Hennepin Avenue. But instead of stopping, he drove a couple more blocks and pulled into a dead-end parking lot on Hennepin Avenue, but the wrong side, near East Hennepin and Coolidge Avenue in Minneapolis. He then told Denise, quote, some ass, grass, or gas, and quote, no one rides for free. When she tried to get out of the vehicle, sensing something was wrong, he grabbed her left hand and stabbed her the first time in the stomach with a Phillips screwdriver. What? So she fell back in the seat, and he continued stabbing her, reaching for anything that would set her free. She grabbed a glass pot bottle on the floor and hit him over the head with it. She tried desperately to get away, scratching, biting, kicking, hitting. He continued stabbing, shrieking in his high-pitched, whiny voice. He kept yelling she was, quote, just like the rest of some other broads. In what probably saved her life, he opened the passenger door and they tumbled onto the pavement. When he was on top of Denise, continuing to stab her, she decided to try and save her life, to quit fighting and play dead. She yelled in a breathless voice, I'm dying, I'm dying. He continued to stab her. She then yelled for help. Oh my goodness gracious. Hearing her cry for help was Douglas Panning, who lived nearby. He saw a male on top of a woman and came running over. And he saw her, and he, he saw this, this male stabbing this dying woman at least five or six times. At one point, he even heard the thud of the screwdriver when it hit her bone. The broken bottle still in her hand, Douglas grabbed Stephanie's left arm, and that's when Stephanie jumped up and tried to fight him and stab him. Stephanie chased him to the end of the parking lot, at which point Douglas ran home to call the police because, of course, it was the 80s. Stephanie then boogied the other way and drove off in a hurry. And that was when Douglas went back to help Denise. That is so, so much right there for that 19-year-old girl. Yeah. So when police arrived, Denise gave them a different name because she was so worried about an outstanding warrant. you got to be kidding me. She had a warrant and was so terrified. So this woman was bleeding profusely, fighting for her life, and she was still worried not only about the warrant, but also telling them that she was a sex worker, thinking that that would come back to her and she'd be arrested. So instead of telling him, telling the police how they actually met, she told them that she was hitchhiking. And it wouldn't be until two years later that she told them what actually brought her face to face with the man that tried to take her life. Um, that is just so many layers of tragedy. There's a lot. Yeah. So at the same time, remember she'd hit him in the head with a bottle. Stephanie was bleeding profusely from his head and he called for medical attention. His voice was immediately recognized as the same man that called with his weepy, whiny voice. They had their guy. So at this point, he goes to the ER, and they stitch him up, and they have all of his information. And that is what got him caught. Wow. So at this point, though, they can't tie him to Denise, because remember, she had given all of this different information. So they just they had a hard time connecting. So she at this point, they had him at least for Barbara Simons. And during that trial... So they, and so, so due to lack of evidence, though, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't tie him to any other murders or even charge him. 
They had not, <sighs> they had him for nothing else. All they've got is a body and a, a whiny faced, whiny voiced man. Mm-hmm. Let's say whiny faced, whiny voiced man saying, "I I killed somebody," but that still. You go find a body. There's no evidence. There's no fingerprints. There's no murder weapon. There's nothing. It's, it's not just that simple, is it? I, I don't think it is. Ah. Because even at the trial for Barbara Simon's murder, his ex-wife, sister, and a roommate testified that they thought his voice matched those calls, but it wasn't enough. So again, that's all they have. They can't time to anything else. So two years later is when they were finally able to bring him up on charges for attempted murder for Denise, the, the sex worker, Denise Williams. So at that point then, of course, during her or during the trial for her assault or attempted murder, they bring up the fact that she was untruthful. Of course, shaming her for being a sex worker, shaming her for being the victim, shaming her for all of these things. Imagine because, having to f- because again, it was the 80s, right? And so at this point, they still called them prostitutes, you know, instead of sex workers. Right. It was, and they they brought that up, but ultimately he was he was convicted of that. And this this just this poor this poor girl of everything from being a sex worker from thirteen to nineteen, you almost get murdered by this guy stabbed with a screwdriver. It drives into your bones, and you're sitting there bleeding, and you're so afraid of being arrested after just being murdered, you can't even tell the cops the real story. And then two years later, you finally step forward courageously. It's beyond courageous. You step forward to face trial, and then you got to get drugged through the ringer by... And I know that defense lawyer is just doing their job, but it's so sleazy and disgusting to think that after all of that, she had to go on trial and then be shamed right there in an effort to... Because that's... I, I know it's innocent until proven guilty, but it's just... It's so effed up that she had to be put through all of that. And I guess it's worth it in the end if this freak gets off the streets. But damn, it ain't right. It's, it's far from right. And, and then, but not only that, but then you have all the these, other murders, all of the other murders that they've, they've not you can't connected even, into. You can't I even. mean, they think they had their guy, but they couldn't, they couldn't bring him to justice for it. And so nobody was held accountable for any of those murders, assaults, nothing until 1997. So nearly 15 years after his arrest, he had a change of conscience. When he was at his annual physical at Stillwater Prison, he was diagnosed with skin cancer and decided it was time to spill his guts after doctors told him he had between two months and two years to live and that chemotherapy would not help. So here's my question. Do you think, I mean, they have the Hippocratic Oath and all that stuff, but do you think it's just one of those things where it's like, "Mm, oh, chemo's not going to help you, buddy. Sorry. I'm not saying that that's what they deserve, but I'm just like, it's one of those questions that popped in. Like, they, like they were very clear about it saying like, nope, chemo's not going to help. Not at all. I, so I, I feel, I, I feel like if, you, or anything, but. if you're trying to be budget conscious, there's might not be enough in the budget to chemo you. Sorry. Yeah. I just, <laughs> we're not going in the red for you, bud. <laughs> right. Like, it's just not happening. We chemoed the last guy. Sorry. Yeah. You don't get to do it. You're going to slowly die. Sorry. And so what made him reach out? I was in the hospital for a month. This is a quote. I was in the hospital for a month and sitting there, knowing you're going to die, gave me time to really think. At Stillwater and St. Cloud prisons, it's too loud to think. But lately, I've been thinking about the families and the funerals. Kimberly was right out of high school. I asked myself, Paul, how would you like it if your sister was killed right out of high school? I wouldn't have liked it, but I was sick, is all I can say. So 
That was his. That was his final that words. Was his, that, was a, that was his dying reason. I mean, he even gave he even gave interviews to newspapers. In fact, the the Star Tribune in Minneapolis. And again, he said, "Quote to this day, I can't believe it." He said, "I wake up in the morning thinking and hoping I'm dreaming all this, but then I say, no, Paul, you're still in jail. I don't know what to do except say I wish I could turn the back the clock.'" How big of you? That's nice. And he wrote in there. I thought, what if somebody did that to my sister? To si- yeah, to his sister. What if somebody did that to my sister? I wouldn't have liked it. Wow, you've come full circle. Like so, that. That's uh, again. It's just twisted for him to even be at that point. He was married. He had again kids, he had a, a sister. Left. I, there's no doubt in my mind. He was absolutely ill, mentally ill. But it's it's questionable. That wasn't going to get him out of any of it. No. So he was he was ultimately convicted of two counts of attempted murder and three counts of murder. He died in prison in 1998. They were pretty close, two months and two years. And he had two survivors, if you can believe that. I mean, the you know the first the first woman and then his last one. And if she wouldn't have hit him over the head with that bottle, he likely wouldn't have been caught. Right. They wouldn't so, have fell out the vehicle and very likely yeah. not have been yeah. identified by that witness who came in there to try to help her. Right. right. Like her, you, you, it should go without saying, but man, if you ever find yourself in something like that, it's you fight, you fight mm-hmm. with all that you have. And it's really, she's the hero of the story. But uh, also think about, think about his ex-wife, sister, his own sister and a roommate testified that in that trial that they thought his voice matched those calls. So clearly... It's just not enough with nothing physical. No, but no, but they wanted him, they wanted him caught. So he didn't have, when he died, he didn't have a lot of people in his, in his corner. You know, if you think about it that way too. I'm a little surprised that at no point, if this is at major media, his voice was put everywhere. Everyone in that, in that area had to have heard that, which makes it seem likely to me that his relatives or someone who knew him had to have heard that on the radio or on the or on the news and didn't make a follow-up call right when he finally got outed and they were forced to draw a line in the sand and they said oh yeah we we recognized his voice but so what you mean all this time this guy was calling people running around killing people we had we blasted his voice everywhere trying to find clues put out the hotline number you didn't hear it you didn't call you didn't say hey sounds like Sounds like my ex-husband. I get maybe not the kid. Hey, that sounds like my dad. But right, but that sounds yeah. Somebody who worked with him, a, a close family member. It just people will people will hide their people. You look at like the Bar Jonah case. Right. His mother covered for him for years, years. Moms do that. Moms do that. Moms are the last ones to leave you when you're in prison. Yeah. Yeah. First go the friends, and then goes the family. Last ones are the mums. So resources for today, court documents, AP News, Minneapolis Star Tribune, Morbidology, and True Crime Magazine, which brought us the phone or the, the 911 calls. His, yeah, the weepy voice killer 911 calls. Uh, shout out once again to the DVCC and Minot. I, again, I think this is a story that highlights the importance of domestic violence crisis, violence crisis centers everywhere. You can support the one in Minot, our hometown, at courageforchange.org. That's courage, the number four, change.org. Throw them some money there. Uh, help people who are trying to break the cycles of violence in their life. This episode also brought to you in part by Manscaped. Manscaped. 
And Jonah's balls? <laughs> no, not the not the latter, just the former. You can save twenty percent off at manscaped.com by using the code Midwest Murder. I can see plenty of y'all might need it. Trust me, if it's whoa, if it's if it's beardy whoa. up here. If it's beardy up here, it might be beardy everywhere. You need yourself a weed whacker. Twenty percent off with Manscaped at Manscaped with the code Midwest Murder. Yeah. And again, you can buy us a hot dish at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Midwest Murder. Thank you to our amazing beer tender. She worked her tail off tonight. So that's that's awesome. And a huge, 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 huge thank you to you guys for coming out here and uh, and hanging with us for a little bit. Yeah, super cool to be here with you guys live. We hope to be back in Fargo in the not-too-distant future. And that is our episode. Came for the Midwest. Stay for the murder. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.